And there are things in relationship to this fear that you and I have to recognize, that if you trust in God and let Him be your guide and strength, you won't have that fear. And your fear is in relationship to your trust. As your faith in God gets stronger, your fear dissipates. And as your faith in God gets weaker, your fear arises. You want to have fear dissipated and removed? Then you rise up and hold up the name of the living God and look to Him to undertake for you, and He will. It's our faith that brings victory. It's our faith that casts out fear and enables us to put our trust in the blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will worship the man of Galilee who went to a cross 2,000 years ago, and no one can take his place. No one will intercede or interfere. We will not permit it. So it is we have faith without fear. I love movies. I love movies. It's probably, if I'm just looking for time to kill, if I'm stressed out, if I've had a busy week or a busy day, and I'm just looking to kill some time and have some fun, I love movies. And uh, I, my, my default or my favorite movie to watch are like action adventure, like movies that take you to a different world or like epic Roman battles and, you know, just far and off and away places. I love it. You know, even a little bit of fantasy, you know, like the Lord of the Rings stuff. Like I just love these future unknown worlds. They're my default movies. And there was a time in my life where I was open to the idea of scary movies. I was open to the idea of, of movies in more of the horror or thriller world. And it was a very short season of my life. But it was a season, nonetheless. And I remember in high school, a bunch of friends got together, and we went to Blockbuster. Anybody remember Blockbuster? You know, this is a, you, before you could just whatever you want with the thumb. You had to go to the store. You had to walk the line, and you had to pick a movie. You had to find one that was available first. And then secondly, you had to find one that everyone agreed on in the room. Whoever you took with you, you had to agree on what movie you wanted to watch. That was an adventure just in its own. And uh, anyway, we went and we found this movie, Scream. I don't know if anyone's seen this movie. You're good Christian folk. You probably never watched it. But we watched, I watched this movie, Scream, and it was a scary movie. It just came out. And a bunch of us got together, went to our friend's house, went down into the basement, and turned off all the lights. And we got ourselves all excited for this scary movie we were going to watch. And we started getting each other, anticipating the fear and anticipating the dread and anticipating what was going to happen. And I remember the movie started, the, the suspense and the build, and we're all under blankets, we're all under covers and pillows, and we're all freaking each other out and scaring each other. And we were, I'm not going to lie, we were petrified. Like every creak in the floor, every sound, we were just like petrified. And, you know, we went through the whole movie, watched the whole thing, and we're all freaking and screaming out. We're all like, I mean, I don't, I don't remember how old I was. I was old enough to drive, so probably 16, 17, thinking to myself, we're pretty tough guys, but we're cowering, cowering in fear as we're watching this movie. And I remember, I remember going home and uh, talking to another friend who wasn't there. I said, we watched this movie, and it was super scary, and it was unbelievable. And, and then so we should watch it. Let's watch it. So we rented it again with my buddy, and we watched it at my house. And, and it wasn't, the atmosphere wasn't the same. And we put it in, and we watched it. And my buddy looked at me as we're going through it, and he's like, this, this, isn't, this is stupid. This isn't even scary. And I'm watching going like, yeah, why is it as scary anymore? What's so silly? And, and I realized that the atmosphere that we created enhanced the fear that we experienced. The atmosphere had an, at, had an impact on how we perceived the situation. 
And I experienced that. I started thinking about that as I was preparing for this series or this message we're in. And I've realized that this, that same model, that same idea has, is what's crept in our world here today. And it's crept in my home, it's crept in my thinking, and in, in some of my thoughts is this idea. I've experienced the same thing that through conversations with my friends and, and my family about these uncertain times, through, through conversations about the elections and the vaccines and the passports and the government mandates and the social posts and memes and all that is flooding my social media feed. The future of our children, we unintentionally or we unintentionally create an atmosphere for fear to be fostered, for fear to rise up, even overwhelm us at times. And I wonder if that's something you've experienced or are experiencing too. But I've realized that the fear that I experience has a very clear indication or clear connection to the atmosphere that which I foster Fear is a real emotion. It, it comes at us un, at unexpected times. It's, it's unpleasant and it's, it's full of anxiety. We realize that fear can be triggered by selfish situations, or, or sorry, specific rather situations or objects like snakes. You're afraid of snakes, you know? Real environments or dangers. Remember danger, Will Robinson. Anyone lost in space, you know? Danger, Will Robinson, danger, you know? There's, there's some things that are real danger. Future unpleasant events. Well, I don't really want to do that. You kind of are anxious and you're worried. Or even worse, imagined events. You know, what if or unknowns of what happens in the future. The unknown and uncertainty. These are triggers that create an atmosphere for fear. Each one of us have experienced this paralyzing fear at times. Edmund Burke, he says, no power so effectively robs the, the mind of its powers and acting and reasoning as fear. Fear has this way of paralyzing us, right? Stops us from moving and experiencing life. In a positive way, fear protects us from danger. And I, and I believe it's a part of our human existence that we have a fear. And that fear mechanism keeps us from doing stupid things and going to stupid places and protects us. And that's a good thing. The stove is hot. You should be afraid of the stove. It's hot. That's a natural fear. That's a positive fear. It protects you. But then there, on the other side of the coin, there's these negative fears. And the negative fear keeps us from living the full life that Jesus died for us to live. It keeps us paralyzed. It keeps us locked in our homes. And, and it keeps us afraid of interacting with one another because we're afraid of something in the future. But no matter what situation you find yourself in today, no matter what situation we ourselves as a community find ourselves in while we may be afraid, which is a natural response, I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't have to live in fear. Look at me today. You don't have to live in fear. You can be afraid, but you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be ruled by it. See, Jesus encourages us. He says, he even commands us. He says in Luke 12, he says, uh, Who of you by worrying, uh, by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Who of you by worrying about tomorrow can add even a single hour to your life? In, in Mark, he says to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? You still don't have any faith. You still not have any faith? I love how Joyce Meyer, she says, Fear and worrying are like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy going nowhere. You know? And how many of us can experience that in our life? We, we're busy worrying and, and fearful about the uncertain times, the unknown times. We're busy working up all this energy and all this anxiety, but we're actually not making any progress. We're actually not going anywhere. 
It's been said, actually, that worrying and fear actually draw the imagined, the terrifying, the unwanted things or realities closer to you. You're actually, you're actually pulling them closer into your atmosphere as you worry and you fear about even the potential uncertainties or the unknowns that may happen in the world. And so the key verse as we discuss this, how do we be people of faith over fear? And this is not just throwing caution to the wind, right? This is being wise. God gave us a brain to give us wisdom. But we're not going to, how do we be known as people of faith versus be known of people of fear? How do we operate in faith versus live out of fear? And we're, our theme verse for this month is going to be really in 2 Timothy 1.7. This is Paul talking to Timothy as he's commissioning him into ministry. He said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Or another translation says, a sound mind. For God has not given you and I a spirit of fear. Yes, we may feel afraid, but we don't have to live in the spirit or under the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind. And so the big question, the, the kind of the thesis statement for us as we navigate this month is going to be this. is how do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we, as those who claim that Jesus is full in our heart, live a faith-filled life that displaces and refocuses pressing fear? Listen, we can never eliminate we can never remove, but we can displace and refocus our pressing fear. We can, we can call it what it is and put it where, where, where the long-term shelf for that thing to live, right? We don't have to live with it. See, every day I believe you and I make a choice. We make a choice to either clothe ourselves in faith or cover ourselves in fear. And I'm using those words very intentionally. Clothe yourself in faith or cover yourself in fear. And as I was thinking and praying through this, I had this visual image of clothing. What happens when you clothe yourself? One, you have to pick it out. What am I going to wear? Two, you have to intentionally put it on. There's an action step, a focused intention of clothing myself in faith. i got to wear it. i got to put it on me. But covering ourselves in fear is what I did watching that movie Scream where you grab your blanket and you just reaction. I just throw it over and I hide myself under a blanket. I cover myself in fear. See, faith prepares us for the day. Fear makes us run away. That rhymes. That just happened. That rhymes. Faith prepares us for the day. Fear makes us run away. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a person who's clothed myself in faith, not just once in my life, but every day. As I get dressed in the morning, as I face my day, as I live in the uncertainty of the world we find ourselves in, to be a person who chooses daily to clothe myself in faith. You see, the fabric of faith is hope, disbelief, compassion, and grace. The fabric of fear is despair and doubt, indifference and hostility. And so over the course of the next month, we're going to choose what does it look like to choose hope over despair, to choose belief over doubt, to choose compassion over indifference, and to choose grace over hostility. Because I believe faith is a choice. And the fabric in which we clothe ourselves will determine what people see in us and to see in you. And so this morning, we're going to talk about hope over despair, how we choose hope over despair. See, every day we have a choice to fuel our faith or to feed our fear, to hold on to the promise of God or to, temp or to give in to the temporary trials of this world, to hold on to hope or to dance with despair. And I believe with my full heart that hope fuels our faith. And I believe that despair feeds our fear. 
I love the Hebrew, the writer in Hebrews, he writes, for we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. What does an anchor do? An anchor holds us firm. It holds us safe. It holds us secure in the midst of what? In the midst of a storm, in the midst of turbulent water, in the midst of shifting current. The anchor holds us true so we don't drift off and get lost in open waters. And this same hope that we have in Christ does the same. It keeps us connected so we don't get lost in the what-ifs and the, and the unknowns of this life. This hope is an anchor for our soul. Because if we don't have an anchor, this world will push us in multiple directions, right? The current of this world is ever-shifting. And if we're not anchored in something, we are lost to sea. And we need to be anchored. This is what God does. This anchor for our hope holds us through. And we are anchored in two things. This hope that we have anchored is in two things. It's in Jesus, and it's the promise of eternity. This anchor that you and I have is in Jesus and the promise of eternity. What does Jesus say in John 16, 33? He says, here... On earth, you will have many troubles and sorrows. Woohoo! That's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, we're going to have troubles. We're going to have sorrows. But what does he say? But take heart, right? But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Listen, you're going to have trials. You're going to have sorrows. But you can anchor yourself in me because I have overcome the world. Take heart. Anchor yourself in me. I have already done the hard work. I've done the heavy lifting. You can trust in me. I've been the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am trustworthy. I've proven myself to be trustworthy. So anchor yourself to me. Remember, Jesus changes everything. Jesus is the hero of every story. It's not your spouse. It's not your parents. It's not my, your pastor. Thank you, Jesus. You're all, gonna, you're all in trouble if that's, the pro, if that's the case. Our hope is anchored in Jesus. Jesus. And secondly, our, our hope is anchored in the promise of eternity. The promise of eternity, I love how the writer of Hebrews continues. He says, since we are receiving a kingdom, since we are receiving a kingdom, this is like when you ordered something on Amazon and you, you got the green light, everything's good, and you got the notification, your product is on the way. There's a guarantee the product is on the way. Since you and I are receiving a kingdom that is, say it with me, unshakable. Come on, someone say unshakable. Let me hear you. Those at home, you're not just spectating. Say it with me. Unshakable. You guys are unconvincing. Come on. Say it with me with, like, convincing power. It is un... Come on. We have a kingdom of God that is unshakable, that is firm, steady, secure, trusted, rock solid, not going anywhere. Firm, reliable, dependable. Let us... and let What's the word? Let us be what? Let us be thankful. Since we have this kingdom of God that is unshakable, let us... Be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. You see, in moments of despair and fear, we need to reclaim an eternal perspective. We need to be reminded that the kingdom of God is unshakable, unmovable. It is secure. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. It is on its way. It's on its way. I tell you what, the powers of this world will try to convince you otherwise, won't they? The powers of this world try to convince you and will try to erode your hope of heaven. But we need to hold on to hope and hold on to the anchor that is firmly secured in Jesus. So how do we do this? How do you and I hold on to hope? How do we hold on to the eternal perspective in the midst of pain, in the midst of hardships, in the midst of troubles? Well, the writer of Hebrew tells us very, very clearly, he says, with thanksgiving. 
And so therefore, thanksgiving, here's what you can write this down. Thanksgiving is the gateway to hope-filled living. How do you, de- how do you live and fill yourself with hope? You develop an attitude of gratitude. Every day, you choose faith. I choose hope, which means I'm choosing to be thankful. Thankfulness is the gateway to hope-filled living. Thanksgiving, let's do it in the rhyming way. Thanksgiving is the, gate, is the gateway to hope-filled living. And I need to remind it of that. Every day I need to remind it of that because I want Thanksgiving to overflow in my life. I want to be reminded for what he has done. Listen, it's one thing to thank God for what he's already done. It's one thing to thank God for the promises that he's kept and the promises that he's fulfilled, for the forgiveness of our sins and for healing and for the prosperity and and, and the, the answered prayers. It's one thing to thank God for what he's done. It's another thing altogether to thank God for what he's yet to do, for the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. It's easy to thank God for something you've received. It's much harder to thank God for what he's yet to fulfill, for what he's yet to do, but what he's promised to do. But as followers of Jesus Christ, worship is when we stand in the middle where we thank God and we know God is faithfulness in the past and he will continue to be faithful in the future. Therefore, I'll offer a heart of worship and thanksgiving because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the hope filled. That is where thanksgiving comes. That is the gateway that leads you and I to hope-filled living. Can I get an amen? Don't yell at me because I'm preaching good today. Come on. Somebody needs to hear this today. Somebody needs to be filled with hope today. Someone needs to turn your upside-down attitude and develop an attitude of thanksgiving because I'm telling you this right now. If you're waiting for the feeling, you're going to keep on waiting. Thanksgiving is not a feeling. It is a choice. It is a perspective It is a decision you make every day to clothe yourself with faith. It's not a feeling. The feeling may come after. Not guaranteed. It may. But it starts with a choice. It starts with a decision. Thanksgiving is the gateway to hope-filled living. Worship, then, is the response of a thankful heart. Right? It's now the response of a heart full of hope thanksgiving. Worship places Jesus back on the throne of your life. Worship refocuses our worry and places all of our issues in the hands of Jesus. So today you and I will choose to feed our faith by protect, by being people of hope filled with thanksgiving. Now listen, it's easier, not always easy, but easier to do when things are going okay. When life is good and life is grand and the road is smooth. It's a lot harder to do when Maybe we find ourselves in the season that we find ourselves in. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns, a lot of fear, a lot of confusion, a lot of fighting, a lot of conflict. How do we find thanksgiving in that? Well, you can always open the Bible. It's a good first start. We can look at the life of Paul. Paul was a gladiator for Christ. He, he just was like, he just, once he got commissioned on the road to Damascus, he just got set on mission. He just, was, he just went for it. And Paul, you know, if you know the story, if you know the story of Paul, well, Paul was an apostle of Christ, and uh, he, wrote, he, he wrote most of the New Testament. Most of what we read in the New Testament is written from Paul. It's one of his letters to the church. And he spent about 11 years traveling through Asia Minor, visiting churches in both in Jerusalem and the Jews and the Gentiles and raising up leaders and building churches and establishing the principle and reminding People, the goodness of God, the the purposes of God, the forgiveness of God. And he pointed people to Jesus. But yet, 
in his ministry, though he saw much success, he saw equal amount of hardship. To the pendulum in which the joy was before him, he had equal amount of tragedy and distress. And he's speaking to one of the churches in Corinth, and he's kind of encouraging them, and he's reminding them, listen, it's okay, I know it's tough, but it's going to be okay, you can get through this. And in some ways, he's, what he's trying to do is he's, he kind of begins to boast about his suffering. He kind, of, he kind of boasts about the hardships that he's gone in, not necessarily to boast about himself, but to encourage others, listen, if I can do this, you can do this. If I can go through this pain and this hardship, you can push through this pain, your current hardship. And in doing so, he writes this into the, the church in Corinth, and he says this in verse 16 of chapter 11. He says, I've worked harder, and I've been put in prison for, more often and been whipped Times without number, I faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Someone say five times. What? Five times the Jewish leaders, the church leaders, Christian people gave him lashes 39 times. Uh, 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I was spent the whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled with many long journeys. I've faced dangers from, ri from rivers and robbers. I've, I've faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities and in the deserts and on seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but obviously weren't. I've, I've worked with long, hard uh, I've worked long and hard, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, more often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold with an, with, uh, without enough clothing to keep me warm. And you're like, what? Like, just give me one of those things and I may cower in the corner. Am I the only one? Like, just give me one of those things. Whip me two times and I'm done. Like, what, you know. And Paul, he's not boasting to, to boast. He's boasting to encourage you and I. He's boasting to encourage. Listen, if I can endure this for Christ and count it, count it as an opportunity to suffer with Christ, then you can do the same. You know, it's hard to imagine how anyone who could suffer or experience or even a portion of this could find any reason to hold on to hope, let alone give thanks. In fact, it would be completely understandable, even justifiable, if he decided to just give in and walk away. I think most of us would be like, yeah, yeah you know what, I probably would too. I think we would all, if we were honest, I know our spirit would be like, no, we love to endure. But the, the flesh part of us going, I don't know if I could endure. And Paul, but Paul chose to, what did he do? Chose to clothe himself every day. He chose to clothe himself every day. That's the only way he made it through. He clothed himself every day with faith, daily putting on hope through thanksgiving. And we see this in his letter to the church of Thessalonica. You say it ten times fast. The church in Thessalonians. Let's say that one. 5.16, he says, always be joyful. This is Paul now. This is Paul, remember, the same guy who endured all that hardship, right? The same guy who endured all that suffering. The same guy who went through all of those journeys and all of those situations. What does he say to the church? He says, always be joyful. He says, never stop praying. You know what the translation for always is? Always. <laughs> you know what the translation for never stop is? Never stop. Always. Never stop. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. And be thankful what? In all circumstances. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. 
and be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Many of you are wondering, hey, I wonder what God's will for my life is. I wonder what God's plan for my life is. Let me tell you a good place to start right here. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. And give thanks in all circumstances. Be joyful. Be full of faith. And be grateful. Here's my honest question. This is an honest question. Can we have an honest question? Are those three values marked in my life? When I'm in hardship, and when I'm in struggles, and when things seem unfair and uncertain, am I a person marked by joy, faith, and thanksgiving? Or am I marked by something different? When my friends and my coworkers see me at work or in the, in the grocery store or on the street, do they see a person who's marked by joy, faith, and thanksgiving? Or do they see a follower of Jesus marked by grumbling, criticism, and despair? It's a very honest question. We have to, we, we're, the scripture forces us to ask it, doesn't it? We don't like it. But it's forcing us to ask that because this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. For those who accepted Jesus, for those who've received the grace of God, for those who call themselves followers of Jesus, we are called, we, it is God's will that you and I are marked by joy, faithfulness through prayer and thanksgiving in all circumstances. That's the, that's, the, that's the charge. And listen, it would be one thing if this came from a guy who never experienced any trouble at all. You know, sometimes when a young kid shows up to work, you know, he's green, he tells you all the things you should be doing, you're like, oh, experience will tell you that all everything you're saying is wrong. It's another thing when it comes from a guy who's experienced it all, worse than you and I will ever, ever experience in our life here on earth, most likely, if we're going to be honest. And yet that guy tells us, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Give thanks in all circumstance. That's the will. That's God's will for you as followers of Jesus. So how do we do that? Because honestly, you just can't wake up one day and do that. It doesn't work, right? It's, it's great. It's a goal. It's a great admiration. It's a great, it's a great thing to want to achieve. And I think every one of us in this room would say, yeah, God, I want to be marked by that. I really do. I think that's something I desire for sure, but I also realize I am pretty far away from that reality, if I'm going to be honest. And so what does that look like? And so four things really quick. One, how do we give thanks in everything? First, we have to practice thankfulness in prayer. It starts with prayer. It starts in a relationship with you and God. That's where it has to start. Because this is not a natural thing. This is a supernatural thing. And to have a supernatural experience, you need to connect with a supernatural God. And that happens one-on-one -on -one through prayer. In his letter to the church in Colossians, he says, Devote yourself with prayer with an alert mind and, be th and a thankful heart. With an alert mind and a thankful heart. Why an alert mind? Because unthankfulness can creep into our life, can it? Unthankfulness can creep into our situation. Unthankfulness can even creep into our prayer. So pray. Be devoted with prayer. Devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. He also writes to the church in Philippi. He says, don't worry about anything. He said, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. 
thank him. Gratitude, how many people know if you've been in ministry, if you, if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you realize that gratitude is a discipline. It is a spiritual discipline that needs to be exercised in order to develop naturally. It has to be exercised. Listen, I used to go to the gym, and you don't go to the gym and go to sit in the bench press and start bunching 250, 300 pounds. You want to, you think you can, because you think you're all big and buff and manly and all. But when you sit down, you're like, no, oh, I can't do this. And so what do you got to do? You got to start with the 25 or the 50 pounds. You got to build up your endurance. You got to build up discipline. You got to build up the strength and able to stand under the heavier weight. And in prayer, what we do is we build up the discipline to thank God for the small things, the seemingly insignificant things, the everyday mundane things. And we build up a discipline of thankfulness. We build up an attitude of gratitude that will pull with us. And then one day we're going to look back and look at, hey, we are thanking God for the things that seem a little bit weighty, the things that seem a little bit heavy. We're seeing it from a different perspective. But it starts in prayer. Practice thanksgiving in prayer. Secondly, we need to proclaim thankfulness in praise. We did this this morning. This is part of our regular routine is that we offer praise. We lift up our voice in praise. We proclaim the goodness of God with thankful heart in praise and worship. Psalm 100 says, shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth worship the Lord in gladness. Come before him with singing, with singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastures. Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His, his unfailing love endures forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Come on, when you and I come into this place, we are taking our worry and we're flipping it upside down and we're offering it to worship. Worry is worship. I mean, worship rather is worry in reverse. Worship is worry in reverse, where we take the things that are waiting on our heart and we offer them to God in praise and adoration, for He is good and His promises are yes and amen. And He is faithful and He is never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and your plans are faithful. You are good. We develop an attitude, we proclaim thankfulness in our praise. How many people know praise doesn't make your problems go away, right? Just because you praise doesn't mean your problems naturally go away. All it does is put, it makes God bigger than your problem. It makes God bigger than your problem. We put praise, we put God back on the throne. Which is really leads to the third step is where we need to posture thanksgiving in our perspective. Listen, we need to change our perspective. We need to, uh, we need to position yourselves in order to see things through the lens of eternity. You see, material items, they come and go. Buildings crumble and fall. Bones turn into dust, but the kingdom and God's kingdom are forever. Jesus is teaching his disciples in Matthew 6, and he says, don't store, for tre don't for, don't store up yourself treasures on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves what? Treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is there, your desires of your heart will be also. Listen, I know firsthand, I know firsthand that this type of perspective of thanksgiving is only made possible through Jesus. You cannot develop an eternal perspective or a heavenly perspective outside the grace of God, outside a relationship with Jesus. We just don't see it. We're just blinded to it. But because we have Jesus, because the kingdom of God is secure, it's unshakable, right? We now have this heavenly perspective where we get to step back 
and see what's going on, not just through our earthly eyes and not just through our natural eyes, but through heaven's eyes. Keeping our focus on things of heaven helps us stay alert to what really matters and helps us cultivate a heart of gratitude for the intangible and the often overlooked blessings. So what is it? We need to practice thanksgiving and prayer, thankfulness and prayer, proclaim thankfulness and praise, posture thankfulness and perspective, and lastly, we need to pursue thankfulness, even in pain. We need to pursue thankfulness in pain. See, when we do all these other things, we find that maybe, maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to stretch our hearts to something we never imagined we could ever do, something we never thought even possible, that we could actually be thankful in the hard times and in the difficult times, that maybe we could be like Paul, who in chains and in shipwrecks and in suffering can choose to clothe himself in faith, fill himself with hope, and offer thanksgiving to God despite the circumstances. Maybe, just maybe, you and I could do that too. Where we can choose to pursue thankfulness in pain. You see, Paul wrote to the, writes to the church in Romans, and we know, he says, and we know that in all things God works, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and those who've been according to, called according to his purpose. This means that even in the bad things, God can use for a good purpose. God can even use the bad things for the good purpose. I believe that God doesn't cause bad things, but he definitely uses bad things for his purpose if we allow him. And that's the caveat. The caveat is we have to allow him to do it. The caveat is we have to choose to, fill, to clothe ourselves in faith, right? Because just because bad things happen doesn't mean there's a good result. That's, that's false teaching. I don't want to lead you that. The bad things, if we offer them to God, can be used for goodness if we allow him and if we choose to clothe ourselves in faith. You see, Paul had this thing that he called, what was it? It was a thorn in his flesh. If you know, if you read in, in, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about this thorn in his flesh, and he begged God to remove this thorn. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was, but something, this ailment, something that was, that was his weakness, something that he could not shake in his life. And he realized, ultimately, that this thorn helped him glorify God, and God's power, he said, was made perfect in his weakness. That even in his pain, it was an opportunity for God's power to be made perfect in his weakness. About 2002, I had the opportunity to go to Romania and uh, was on a mission trip with a church I was attending after college. And one of the trips, or one of the days, we partnered with Compassion Canada, and they, one of the days, had to do some deliveries for Compassion Canada um, sponsors, like children's spon child sponsors. And so there was about eight of us on this trip, I think, and so we went we got our, our gifts and the things that we had for this, this family, these children. And we drove out of, the, out of the city, out of, you know, and we drove into this little country, modest country home. And it's, you know, don't think home like our homes here. Think like shack, abode, pretty humble, very, very humble. And you see this, and you, when you look at it, you realize there's no, there's no vehicle, there's no nothing. It's just this kind of empty make mishmash of face, and there's a little vegetable garden kind of off to the back, a small little vegetable garden. And out, we kind of come into the driveway, and out comes five children, all kind of running out, full of joy, and all kind of, you know, rugged looking. The mom comes out, and the father comes behind, and he's limping, and he's, he's obviously disabled of some level, with his one leg, he can't really walk, it's all twisted. And, and we come here, there's eight of us, and 
Two of their five children are sponsored through Compassion Canada. So they're receiving $60 a month, $30 for each children, and that's what this family of seven survive on, $60 a month, and whatever they grow in their vegetable garden. This is like, I'm coming from, I grew up in London. This is like eye-opening for me, as many of you have had experienced these kind of experiences. And we're there, and, you know, we're loving on them, and they're, they're just so full of joy, they're so full of light, and we're just having a time, we're giving them their gifts, and we're spending time with them, and the, the missionary had been there many times, so there's a relationship there, she's introducing us to them, and, and just before we're about to leave, the father limps over to the garden, and he takes out, uh, he pulls gar- vegetable, like stuff from his garden, like basically stuff from his own kid's mouth. And he puts them in a bag, and he hands them to us. Like, a little bit overweight, American, like Canadian kids. Like, we don't need his vegetables. We don't need his stuff. But yet, out of thanksgiving and joy, and he tells us this story. He says, you know, when I went to prison, because uh, there was a commun, like when Romania was under communism and all the fighting that was going, and he was against it, he was rebe- rebelling against it, and he got sent to prison. And in prison, he was beat up. It's so bad that he was disabled, and he was mangled. So bad. And he's now disabled. He cannot work. He cannot provide for his family financially. And, but yet, he thanks Jesus every day. He says, I thank Jesus every day for prison. I thank Jesus every day that I went to prison because it was in prison that someone led me to Jesus. It was in prison that I met the Lord. It was in prison that my heart was made new. And now that my family knows Jesus and we are, as a family are living for Jesus. So I thank God every day for prison. And I'm in my North American bubble, and I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? I'm not used to this. I'm not used to this gratitude, and this thanksgiving in the midst of obvious turmoil and obvious discomfort and obvious pain. And for the first time in my life, I see, I witness with my own eyes, gratitude is not a decision, it's not a feeling, it's a decision. Hopefulness can rise up within us even in the darkest of days, and we can be filled with thanksgiving. So here's my challenge, church. Let's just be, can we just call a spade a spade? It's dark days. It's challenging. It's challenging. I have to get off Facebook. I, it just overwhelms me. I, I get I just get anxious inside. There's just so much going on. And I have a choice, like you have a choice. I can clothe myself with fear and fill myself with discouragement or, you know, despair. Or I can clothe myself with faith. And choose to offer thanksgiving as a gateway to hope-filled living. To always be joyful. To never stop praying. And to give thanks in all circumstances. So when people see me and they find out that I'm a Christian, I represent Jesus well. So when people see you at work and they know you're a Christian, you represent Jesus well. Always be, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. I don't know if you need to hear this, but I need to hear this today. I'm preaching to myself. You guys know that, right? 
This is where we can all do this together, and this is why living in community is so important because we all need a little external motivation to help us on this journey as we try to be like Jesus and live like Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. I know it's not easy, but we serve a good God. We serve a God who's faithful. And I believe he's reminding each and every one of us here today of his goodness. And so as the band just leads us in one final song, can I just encourage you to open up your heart and maybe even for the first time this morning, allow yourself to offer thanksgiving, not because you feel like it, because you know you're clothing yourself with faith today and it's your response of worship. Can we do that this morning? God, we just give you our hearts today. We lift up our hands. We lift up our hearts. We, God, we pray that you would speak to us, change us, fill us anew, and fill us afresh that we may be known as people who are for you, a prayer of joy, of gratitude, full of faith, full of hope because of you and all you are done, you have done and all you are continuing to do. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.